you for listening to 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. My name is Neil Mackay and I'm your host. We have a great episode this week with Chris Nguyen. Chris is a thug culture kid and we're going to talk more about that in this episode. At the moment, he's stranded in Bangkok and waiting on his paperwork so that he can come back to Saigon and I'm looking forward to catching up with him when he does. Chris runs a podcast called Ranting Bananas, so make sure that you check that out anywhere that you can find podcasts and also look him up on YouTube. He's got a channel called Semi-Grown Kid. Each week, I want to highlight another amazing content producer in Vietnam. This week, I want to give a shout out to the Creators in Saigon podcast. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Make sure you check them out. That's co-hosted by Dana Drejos, Nicholas Tan and 2AC Nguyen. And they have new episodes out every Thursday morning. So make sure to check them out. Um, They interview expat and local creatives and entrepreneurs on personal growth, relationships, health, identity, cultures and more. So quite a broad range and really, really interesting. So make sure that you check them out. And then also make sure that if you haven't already ready wherever you are listening to this podcast go and make sure you subscribe or follow whether it's spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, or any number of different ways that you can find us make sure you give a like and a follow and then also please go onto social media because i know you're all on there go on facebook instagram youtube search for seven million bikes and you can subscribe on there as well so i hope you enjoy this episode and thank you very much for listening So we're now up to episode five of season five of Seven Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode. My guest today is actually calling all the way in um, via Zoom from Bangkok, where he's stuck at the moment, waiting to get back into Vietnam like many people are. I'm one of the lucky people that um, won the lottery ticket of being in Vietnam during the the pandemic and, and being able to live a relatively normal life here compared to the rest of the world. So my de- my guest today, he's a designer for user interface and user experience um, and become more of a content creator now. He's a third culture kid. Um, he's from the UK and he's coming back to Saigon soon, hopefully. So check out his YouTube channel, which is called Semi Grown Kid and his podcast, which you can find on Spotify or Apple Podcasts everywhere called Ranting Bananas. And you'll find some really interesting topics in there. It covers a really wide range of topics. Um, and I saw, Chris, you just posted today that your niche is that you don't have a niche. Is that right? And my guest today is Chris Wynn. Sorry. Yes. I uh, Thank you. Thank you for that awesome introduction. I did post today that uh, I'm deciding not to have a niche. Um, I think it's more of a clickbait title, but it was this idea I was playing around with in terms of like, why do you need to decide when you first start? Because I've only just started on this content creation journey. So I kind of don't want to lock myself down and be, uh, as I have said, one dimensional in the video. So yeah, that that's my... Um, journey and I'm sure I will niche down when I figure out what I want to talk about uh, eventually. Yeah and it made me then look at your podcast a bit more closely and because I've only just come across it like you know in the last week and we connected and we said let's let's do an interview and the topics that you cover are really broad so just today I was looking I was like okay so you talk about user experience which is obviously what your background is talk about design then then the next episode I looked at was like all about um anal sex and Japanese sex dolls 
I was like, yeah, no, he really doesn't have a niche. Yeah, I think as like people, right? We we we're just so into so many things. So we thought, hey, why don't we just create a space where we can literally talk about anything we want? Of course, we'll have a topic for that episode, but you know, we're interested in so many things: music, sports. Uh, work and just random things and there's a lots of interesting topics to speak about so why just speak about design for example right um i yeah i just i just kind of love that sort of outlet where you can be creative and just kind of just speak about lots of different things i think i think that's really interesting to me and do you think you tie down a niche eventually or you think you continue on my niche is, is not to have a niche I mean, at the end of the video, there was a really good quote from Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Gary V, and he says, um, he, like, he doesn't have a niche, right? Because it's better to be as broad as possible uh, and be fully you and fully authentic, and then so you become the niche. However, that's harder than it sounds because he's this marketing genius and, you know, he's been wildly successful, so people just kind of want to replicate what he does but i believe that sure if you don't have a niche it might be hard to like for content creation growth um but i think everybody's looking for authenticity anyway right so if you are you then it doesn't matter and maybe my channel won't be like teaching someone how to knit right or teaching someone design skills uh but i might do something like that i'm i'm really not sure about what the niche is uh i i don't plan to have one soon unless it's something that it's like a light bulb aha moment and i could spend the rest of my life talking about this subject for example well it's made me now think like because uh, when i started this podcast i never thought like what's my niche it was just let's do this for some fun so then it's made me think like well what is do i have a niche i guess mine is storytelling and now we've i've adopted a the kind of tagline everyone has a story just because that is what seven million bites has been from the beginning my inspiration was um just i was doing the dishes one day and i, I wanted a hobby and i was like i love podcasts so i was like i'm gonna start a podcast and then and what i knew right away was i want to share people's stories because living in saigon there's so many interesting people here. And sometimes it, there's a, a thing here where people get pigeonholed into being a teacher. And it can almost, it's really bad. Sometimes even though teachers are held with such high reverence in Vietnam, within expats, it, you can hear people say the phrase like, oh, just a teacher, which is horrible. You know, you're not just a teacher. You're a teacher. You'd be proud of that. So some people get pigeonholed into that, like I'm a teacher or whatnot. But actually, when you get to, to know these people, they're from all over the world. They've had all these experiences. They've got all these backgrounds. They do all these different things. They've got all these different passions. And they're not defined by being just a teacher. So I think that was part of it. And so a lot of the guests that I've had on 7 Million Bites have been teachers, but we don't even mention it. And not because we're trying to hide it. It will just maybe come up briefly, but we talk about the other stuff. And it's the same as well. I get asked because I'm a comedian. Also, you do a comedy podcast. And I'm like, no, no, my podcast, totally separate from my comedy. Like I interview a lot of comedians, but only because I know them and I can ask them. But we don't really talk about comedy that much. Like if you go listen to the episode with AJ Miller, which is one of my favorite uh, episodes, and she's not even just a comedian. She's a singer, a performer, a, ta a tattoo artist, um, a personal trainer. 
Well, her whole episode was about how her dad was in the Vietnam War and how that had affected him and her. And it was this really emotional, deep, deep episode. And um, so I went on a long tangent, but just to say that I think that that would be the niche, I guess, of 7 Million Bites is just telling people's stories. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it gives you a lot of room to play with, right? Because you're going, you're definitely going broad. And I think one of the reasons why me and you both love Vietnam is because um, there's so many personalities. As you said, you know, the name of the podcast is Seven Million Bikes, which is an amazing name, uh, I might add. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, and exactly. I think that's why we love it, because it's so dynamic and there's so many different people from different backgrounds. And you're quite right. Just a teacher is just such a terrible label, right? And I think that, like, we have a similar take on on this area where it's like you know you can be a teacher or you could be anybody right with with a profession but that doesn't necessarily define who you are because you know there's a journey of growth there uh, you know you're maybe a teacher one day or a designer one day and then you're some other thing you don't have to just be this one thing and oftentimes we get labeled that one thing like create like designers always get labeled uh creatives right so when it comes to anything like business orientated like business people just don't respect them uh mm-hmm. and i've seen that in like corporates and startups and stuff like that so it, it's like this very weird stereotype i know also designers are supposed to be like the cool kids or whatever right but there are these stereotypes that exist like around and it's just like really not healthy uh uh, it, it's only if you subscribe uh, to that belief, right? And and I don't believe you do, um, but you know a lot of people do. So yeah, I mean you have a broad enough sort of spectrum that then you can dive into all these avenues. And I think that's that's a great start because unless you figure out what you really really love and really really passionate about, then give yourself some breathing room. At the end of the day, this is a creative outlet. So let that be you know your playground for 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 these things that you're trying to do. So that's really cool. Yeah, no, that's cool. Thank you very much. Um, so tell me then, how did you go from being a designer to a content creator yourself? Yeah, so I moved to Bangkok in 2019 for this job. Uh, I was leading a design team here in Bangkok for this uh, pretty large company. And I found myself not really sort of fitting into the corporate culture I had primarily worked at startups in in Vietnam and and Mexico and the US. So I I didn't really fit in and I was like, oh, what's happening? And actually the uh, the culture, the working culture was fairly toxic. Uh, Not obviously the Thai culture, but just specifically the working culture. And I just didn't really find my happy place. It was basically my dream job because I had always wanted to like lead a design department in an organization and being sort of one to make decisions and, and sort of, you know, uh, lead the charge in that way. But it, it just wasn't the right place. I wasn't really set up for success. And eventually I left in July, June, 2020. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? And the original plan was traveling, but of course the pandemic hit in March and everything was on hold or lockdown hit in March so it was just a great space to sort of, you know, explore, right? I always wanted to do like uh, a podcast, make videos, 
uh, had been thinking about this, but because work has always been the main focus, uh, um, and I used to travel a lot for work as well. So it was just like, I just didn't have time to do these things, right? Invest time to learn about, um, you know, production or, or cinematography or anything like that. So that then I just had all this time stuck at home. What do you do? You go on Lazada, you buy some equipment and then you just start creating and watching lots of YouTube videos. And, and, uh, I guess the rest is history. That's awesome. And it's been interesting to see, you know, that creative outlet, I guess, or just the, the different ways that people have had to deal with this pandemic. Um, the last episode talking with me, Corcoran, about how it's affected dating and how it's affected. She's a, a designer as well, um, or run or heads up a design agency and how that's affected these things. And everyone's just trying to, I guess, figure out new ways of doing things, right? Yeah, I think um the yeah, there are some inspiring stories about like how someone like pushed through the pandemic, right? Like whether they, you know, spent time on crafting a hobby or they just discovered different things about themselves. And um it's interesting that, you know, some people have really like sort of propelled from this time of like introspection and self-reflection. Because like now you have to care about things you actually care about. You don't have the distractions and, and all the, these lights and shiny things that you always have to chase and always have to be busy. You can really sort of like spend time inside your own mind, inside your own house, which is like crazy at first, right, to deal with. But now it's it's kind of enlightening. So uh, for me, there's a a whole like new like refocus and, and realignment of, of, of how I want to you know, proceed with like work stuff and, and social stuff. So it's been really insightful, I think. And I'm going to, I'm going to contradict what I just said, because on the flip side of that, the, I remember last year when the pandemic really first hit and you know, the first lockdown started and, and there was some segment of people that were saying, you know, now's the time to start your side hustle. Now's the time to take, start that business that you wanted to do. You've got no more excuses anymore. Like, you know, this is now blah, blah, blah. But then I, I saw stuff come out after that that was saying, no, like, it's okay to be overwhelmed right now. It's okay to not be creative. It's okay not to want to start your side business. You can just hunker down and and do what you need to do for you. And the, the most interesting thing I saw it be compared to was like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs where the, at the base of the pyramid, your needs is like shelter, food, water, then it kind of moves up. I can't even remember, but, and it goes all the way up to it. And creativity is at like the pinnacle of that hierarchy of needs. So you have to make sure your, your base needs are taken care of before you even have the, the wherewithal to be able to, give that creative outlet or that spiritual outlet, whatever it is for you. And when the pandemic hit and when everyone's jobs are being lost or people having to work from home or whatnot, your main focus is just on those lower um, needs. And I felt that like when we had, and we didn't even have a big lockdown or a harsh lockdown, but we had a lockdown of sorts back in March and April it took the wind out of my sales creativity, creativity. I can't even say the word properly, creatively. It took the wind out of my sales creatively. And it took me about four or five months before I got back on stage to do stand-up comedy. Didn't really do many podcast episodes. 
And then even now we've just gone through another mini, mini outbreak of like a few hundred cases, but, and we, we, we were again in like a mini lockdown situation or kind of not even a lockdown, but like a mini shutdown. And I already feel it like just sapping my creative energy. And I don't know what it is. I need to get over that mental hurdle of, um, of being able to deal with this. So there's, I think that you can see both, both ways of thinking now. Yeah, yeah, quite right. I mean, of course, I've been caught, you know, lying on my couch watching Netflix for a <laughs> week straight, right? Yeah. And just getting takeout and, like, not trying to work out and, and really just binging YouTube channels just for the sake of, I'm like, I'm saying to myself, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm learning this craft, so therefore I need to consume <laughs> lots of content. But, you know, if you're not making something, you're not being productive, right? So I think it's up to you to figure out a way to get out of it. And, you know, like, like everything in life, it's, it's all in waves, right? It's not, uh, it's not always a high and you're not always productive, but I've, I've realized that all the time. I, so I work really well in sprints and not marathons. I'm not a marathon runner, right. But I'm a damn good sprinter in terms of like, if there's, um, a project or video or something I want to do, I, I basically try to bang it out as quick as I can because I lose momentum very quickly. And I've just realized that. So I almost do that. I almost like take a week and don't do anything and just think about it and let that thing kind of, um, I don't know, uh, simmer. Right. And then when I'm ready to like mentally and physically, then I work on it for a few days and then I rest. So I, I, th I think that's like, um, very personal, but I could see a lot of people doing that as well. I mean, we can't be, you know, creative all the time. We have to be like, you know, a vegetable on the couch sometimes. And, and I think me and you have been lucky, right? Because we've been in countries where lockdown is not as serious as the rest of the world. And, um, and yeah, we've been, we've been in such a fortunate situation. Yeah. But we shouldn't beat ourselves up. You know, it, it happens for a reason. And as long as you can pick yourself back up after, like that's the most important thing, right? Mm. No, and that, that does uh, resonate with me. And it makes me feel better because I've been having that even like this week where I'm, I'm like, I have these ideas that I want to do this or I'm like, I should sit down and write some more jokes or I should write a new song. I need to spend some time being creative or I've got to do more for the podcast. Or yeah, I could just sit and watch, you know, the Eliza Lamb documentary on Netflix for four hours <laughs> you know, it's, it's like I, I find I have these waves of energy where I'm like, yes, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then it's like you kind of say, then you have two days on the couch or whatnot, and you don't get much done. But then at the same time, you know, we're recording a podcast right now, we're creating something, we're doing something. So I, it's like I feel like I always want to do more, but I probably should just um, be happy with what I'm doing. Sometimes I don't know. Do you feel similar about that? Yeah, I mean, I have, I've. I'm one of those people, like I'm definitely one of those people could, that could generate a lot of ideas and getting excited about different things, but you know, um, execution, right? Like execution is worth more than just a single idea. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really bad at this. So I've been trying to get better at it. And one way that helps me is to hold myself accountable by tying someone else to the project. So I, I find myself that if, if it's something that I do on my own, um, a lot of the times 
you know, I could basically make excuses for myself and I'm the only one accountable for it. So I can do whatever I want. I could just chill and not do anything. But as soon as I tie someone else into the project, I immediately get that like uh, motivation and that spark. And I'm like, okay, you know, uh, there's someone to bounce ideas off and it just runs a lot smoother for me. So that's kind of what I've learned, which is like, I need to work with people because that's where most of my energy comes from. But I think it's fine. I think you just kind of got to hack away at it. And, um, I, yeah, I have like this crazy long list of like things I want to do. Uh, but I'm slowly ticking it off. I'm slowly trying to involve people and, and ticking those things off. Yeah. What's the next thing on your list? Oh, I've got so many. So I'll just talk about, yeah, I'll just talk about one thing. Um, this, this is like a personal thing. So this is actually for, so, um, so I'm, so I'm a designer, right. Um, and I want to start this hide side hustle thing as you were speaking about. So I'm launching this like database of sort of design step-by-step guides. But before I spend, you know, hours and hours on it, I basically did this one guide. And then for me to hold myself accountable, I basically pinged my friends. I was like, Hey, I want to concept test this with you, you know, ask you if you find it valuable, would you pay for it? Et cetera, et cetera. So then, um, I on, I'm onto my fourth interview, uh, which is happening next week. So that's a way to keep myself accountable. But yet again, I don't know if it's a viable business product yet. I still have to get some feedback from the user. So that's one thing on my list that I, um, you know, I I've started it and probably about 75% of the way through. So I just need to like, you know, really ramp up and really involve people into my process, into my creative process. And then we'll see where that goes. But that's the next thing on my list. That's given me some, some great motivation as well, because I think that is a good, good advice. Um, and I, I'll do it with my wife and involve her, but because I was saying, right, I'm going to do this. So if I, t- if I tell her, then it, it being, she will hold me accountable for it. But telling more mm. people and making things happen, um, mm-hmm. I think is, is good advice as well, because even we connected through the, the Vietnam content creators Facebook page, and, and even that, actually, I was hesitant at putting a post on there to look, looking out for people to connect with. I remember writing the post and then being like, do I hit send? Because if I hit send or post, sorry, if I, if I post this, then there's going to be a reaction, which then means I'm going to have to do something, right? Like it, then it's cause and effect where I'm like, but if I don't post this, it's still just an idea in my head and I don't have to follow through with it yet. And, and thankfully I hit post and, and I was able to connect with people like yourself and quite another few people that are going to be upcoming guests on the, on the show. Yeah. I, I find it really awesome. Like I, I only found the group like a week ago or two weeks ago, maybe. And I was like, Holy crap. Everybody's so friendly. And yet again, I, th- I think I was the same as you being like hesitant, but if you really want to, sort of get into something new, then one of the best ways is to um, connect with like-minded people, right? Like Mm. what is the community around it? And I found watching and and stumbling across all these Vietnam sort of creatives that that are making things, I I immediately want to make something or I immediately want to collaborate. Or so I know me and you were speaking about a podcast in like two weeks and then I just posted Hey, does anybody want to do a zoom this weekend? And you're like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And I mean, that's the thing, right? Like you need someone else to sort of give you that motivation that you might not necessarily 
uh, have, and, and that's great. Can I just go on a side tangent? Very quickly. I'm Scottish. I live for side tangents. We, we, never, tell our, <laughs> we never tell a linear story in Scotland. <laughs> great okay good good to know but so i posted this post yesterday and it was like does anyone want to do a podcast over zoom this weekend and a few people responded you being one of them but there was another guy who responded and uh so we got a chatting but he was a little bit rude he was like what do you do? Like all these things. And then, so I looked up his podcast and it was a bit, you know, it was a bit serious and it was a bit like, wasn't kind of my vibe and I didn't really want to do it. So then I was just frank with him. Right. I just said, Hey man, um, I I think I'm, you know, uh, you know, thanks for reaching out, but, um, maybe, maybe we're not the right fit in terms of me being on yours or you being on mine. I like, I, I don't think we kind of fit. And he was like, just really, really offended by that. And he just wouldn't stop pestering me for like an hour, like commenting on the stuff on my Facebook and just, just going at me. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so glad I didn't do a podcast with him. Cause he'll just be super anal retentive. Right. And, uh, he probably might listen to this. So, uh, shout outs to you. I don't even remember your name, but uh, just stop, you know, just stop getting offended at, about these little things that don't really amount to much, right? Like if anything we've learned from the pandemic is we need to get less of a shit about things, right? Just chill out, dude. Anyway, side tangent, rant over. No, that's a good one. But, but that ties into the, the hesitancy when, when, and I do that with a lot of my posts. I'm like, do I want to post this? Because what's the reaction going to be? Because even if it's just an innocent thing, like, who wants to do a Zoom call? It could end up being something like that. I've not really had an experience like that, thankfully, but you know, it's always a always a possibility. So um now I'm gonna be even more scared to post after hearing your story. No, man, like <laughs> no, don't be, right? No, no, seriously. Okay. So I uh, another side tangent, right? So when I first moved to Vietnam, um, I was in this tech job and then I, I knew I found the right industry, but I wasn't in the right job. I was like, um, doing digital marketing, didn't like it. So what I did was I quit. And, uh, because in digital marketing, you got a lot, you got to do like some graphic design work. And I figured out that that's what I wanted to do. So what I did, I, I, I helped my friend build this like crappy website. Right. And then I was like, wow, I, I found myself losing so many hours in building this website. And I was like, I really enjoy this. I wonder if I could build myself a website and then sell that service to other people. So what I do was use Wix, right? This drag and drop website tool. And, mm-hmm. um, and I just build, you know, uh, so made my own content, built, built, build the website on that. Then I posted it on expats in Saigon and, with one of those groups with, you know, 10,000 plus people, there are a lot of trolls, especially the one expert in Ho Chi Minh, right? Just so many trolls. And I'm fine with that. But I was like, look, if anybody wants to, you know, uh, work together, or if I can do anything for you in terms of setting up your website and digital marketing, I can, you know, I, I could help. And then there was this one guy that's like a, an older gentleman, probably in his fifties, but he's been like, you know, a lifelong programmer and he got really offended with what I offered as a service. Cause he's like, this is not a real service. You're doing a disservice to us, like programmers and engineers. This is a drag and drop tool. You know, you suck, like you should kill yourself or whatever. Right. Like he just went at me and I was like, dude, like all I'm trying to do is like, 
do something, you know, like just try something, you know, I'm, you know, unemployed, like whatever. Right. Like there's a lot of people that like supported me um, and saying, look, just shut up, man. But he just kept going on at it. But luckily enough, uh, that was sort of my first like freelance gig. And I, and I worked on like two startups with, with some friends um, and that sort of led me to where I am today. So if you don't put yourself out there and willing to take all this negative crap, then like, do you know what I'm saying? Like you, you got just throw it out there. Like, just don't care. Right. Like who cares at the end of the day, there's always going to be haters and there's always going to be, you know, people that like your stuff. Right. So mm. uh, for me, I'm like, uh, it doesn't matter. I, I know people are going to hate my stuff. It's cheesy. It's boring. It's whatever. But, you know, um, as a designer, I love feedback. Right. So, you know, give me the feedback. If it's actually good feedback, then I'll take it. But if it's, if it's just like personal and kind of shitty and toxic, then whatever. Right. It's the most difficult thing. And I think it's what stops most people doing things like that because it's taking that leap and being worried about the reaction. And even for me, I'm a fairly confident person, but I still have a thin skin, so to speak. And I still get knocked back if there's negativity. And I think the biggest thing for me, I said this recently, I think to my wife, I was like, I'm just stupidly confident where I don't really think about things and it's worked out okay so far. Like I don't, analyze things so much where I get paralyzed. Like I don't worry too much. Like, Oh my God, what happens if no one likes this podcast episode? Like I just don't think about it and then do it. So it's, that's why I think it's kind of like stupidly confident. Like I'm confident enough to do it, but I'm stupid in the fact that like, I don't really think about like, I still get surprised when someone tells me they listen to the podcast. I still like when someone's like, Oh yeah, I listen to your podcast when I meet them in real life. And I'm like, Oh, Oh yeah. I forget that. Like people, like we're recording this right now, but then someone's going to go listen to it. Like that still surprises me. Right. Have you found that people who listen to your podcasts, like you haven't met them before. Right. But and then like you, like they feel like they're your friend and they mention things about you and you're like, holy crap. How, what? I don't know you. How, like, are you, have you been stalking? Have you ever found that? I, I haven't had that yet. No, I just, I've had some people recognize me from comedy um, and I've met people who've been like, I met, it, this is, a, this is one of the funny things that happened. It was one of the first times I got introduced to someone who's just at a bar and they're like, oh, this is Neil, this is so-and-so. And I was like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And he's like, oh, you're Neil McKay from 7 Million Bikes. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I listened to some of your shows. It's really good. And I was like, oh, cool. Thanks. And then the next week, my aunt was visiting, um, shout out to Kirsty because yeah, she knows I tell this on stage and it, it always gets a big laugh. But it's a true story. The next week, my aunt came over from Scotland to Vietnam, pre-pandemic, obviously. And I said to my aunt, I said, Kirsty, I had my first like celebrity moment last week in Saigon. And she's like, oh, sweetie, that's so nice. Who did you meet? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and I was like, no, I was, I was the celebrity moment. <laughs> And she's like, oh, what do you mean? I was like, I had to explain it. But um, so I've not, <laughs> I've not ever had anyone like um, that knows too much about me, but I did have it as well just at the end of last year. I was out with my wife and, the, and this girl at our market store. I was like, oh, you're Neil McKay from 7 Million Bites. I guess she like recognized me. 
And I was so stunned. I'm just so awkward, which I'm, I'm generally not an awkward person, but I was so awkward. I was just like almost frozen. And my wife was having a nudge me. And she's like, say, thank you. Say hello. Like ask her what's her name. Like I don't normally need to be cajoled into having a conversation, but I, it, so I, I need to get better at that because it has happened a couple of times now, but not to the level of like, they know about me, but that's now you've made me paranoid about that because I talk about so I don't talk the most on the podcast. This one's the, probably the one I've talked the most. I don't, I'm in a chatty mood today for some reason, <laughs> but um, you, yeah, you've had your coffee, right? I have had my coffee this morning, but I, I, I would never get to what time is it? I would never get to one thirty and not have had a coffee apart from, I just did a juice cleanse recently, but I, we won't get into that. <laughs> now, so tell me when, um, when I introduced you and then from what you told me, you are a third culture kid. So let's move on from uh, content creation and whatnot. What does that mean to you? And what does that mean? A third culture kid? Yeah. So what it means is like a, a person grew up or born in an environment where their parents aren't, fr- aren't from. So that's what it means. Right. And, and how it, relates to me is I, I I was born in England and grew up in England, went to school in England, but my dad is Vietnamese born in Saigon. And then my mom is Chinese born in Saigon as well. So her parents immigrated to Ho Chi Minh, you know, uh, and then had her. So yeah, I'm Chinese Vietnamese, but born and bred in the UK. So that's me in a nutshell. Um, uh, in terms of like what else it means to me, it's like, I I think a lot of people struggle with this or, or maybe it's just me. I'm not really sure, but you know, like when you're in England, you don't quite fit in like everyone else, right? You look different, you know, you eat weird things, you know, you, you know, you speak a different language, right? Whatever it is, right. You have this, um, Chinese, Vietnamese, English culture, which is in England, you know, like, you know, but, and then when you come back to Vietnam, the motherland, the, you know, the Holy grail, then you're like, what's going on? Like you almost don't understand lots of things and you're like, why does it work like this? Right. There's lots of cultural nuances that you don't get when you come to visit or you're on holiday, when you're actually living in that country, that's where you discover it. And a lot of people that, you know, friends of mine or girls I've dated are like, yeah, but you're pretty white though, right? And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> like, you said it like it's bad. Like, what, what, what is it, right? Like, what? So, uh, or like Western, like, like, I think I do typically have more of a Westerner mindset, but like, so yeah, so then you so where the hell do I belong, right? Like that's the that's one of the you know life's big questions. Like where where are we from? Where do I belong? So that, I guess that is how I define it, and I've got more comfortable as you know uh, I've grown to sort of realize that it's just a, a mixture of that. And for me, it's like you know optimistically, it's the best of both worlds because you can kind of. Uh, adapt easier to um, other cultures and be more open-minded with weird and wonderful things. So, yeah, I think that's, that's it in a nutshell. And it's, it's very different to my upbringing because I am from like a monoculture. Like I am white. My 
family going back generations are all white from Scotland. Like I don't think there's any intermingling in there at all now. Completely different now, like my now, my generation, you know, my wife's American, Mexican, my cousins are Hong Kongese, Scottish, you know, the, and I've got New Zealand cousins now by marriage and things like that. So now this generation of the family has completely changed. But for me as growing up, I haven't, I don't have that experience that what you have. So when you're describing that there, that to me is, is is a completely different experience. Yeah, imagine the kids, right? I don't know if you have any kids at the moment, but imagine, so American, Mexican, and then Scottish, and then you guys have a kid, so there's that mix, but then you're in Vietnam, so there's also, like, it'll just be so confusing, right? Like, who is this child? Like, what, like, what? like their identity will just be this like intermingling. And I think like, that's kind of where we're going, you know, as a society and as, as, you know, the world gets more globalized anyway. Right. But there is that internal struggle that your kid will have to deal with or generations that follow us. So it's very interesting. And would you say then that has been an internal struggle for you throughout your life? I think when I was younger, Definitely. I think now, like, since I kind of moved abroad and just got used to, like, the, the like living and trying to being yourself a bit more, being more confident, you kind of, def- yeah, you kind of work out who you are, you know, very quickly because, you know, you're in a country where you're not used to things and you kind of just figure it out. But, yeah, as a, as a kid, I would say so, yeah. And from, from previous guests and talking to friends as well, it, it can be very tricky, or not tricky, but very challenging from my understanding on a variety of levels. So I know people who are similar to you, like Vietnamese, Australian, who then come over here and then they get treated like a certain way or people who've been born in Vietnam, then they moved to the US at a young age, then came back. So then they get treated in a certain way, like they're expected to have like more money or they're expected to do this or that. And those expectations don't, don't always line up. Have you had experience like that in either direction where there's a certain expectation of you as whatever you, whatever you're expected to be? Hmm. Good question. I, 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 off the top of my head, I can't think of one that I'm expected to be. Um, but however, there, there are like local expectations, right? Like, um, you know, the way, like, for example, if someone invites you to a wedding and you're not going, you have to give money, right? Like that's, that's a very local expectation. So in that sense, I'm, kind of a dick because then I'm like I play the naive foreigner card and I'm like nah I'm not doing that you know and um and I get away with it which is great right because I'm like oh yeah I'm the naive guy that doesn't know what's happening so uh, I guess I use it to my advantage in some sense um but there are there are some expectations like I remember coming back when I was like 17 years old and um just on a holiday uh, I would you know, invite my cousin out and I'm like, oh, let's go for dinner and then get some drinks afterwards. And then basically she invited the whole village, right? Like 10 of her friends showed up. Uh, I had to pay for the bill at dinner and then we went to this bar. 
got some bottles and then me as a 17 year old, like I've just saved up a bunch of money to go on holiday to Vietnam without my parents. And I have to like, you know, pay for everything. It was, it was actually pretty crazy. And then from that day I was like, I'm not, I'm not, this was in Ho Chi Minh. This was in Ho Chi Minh, like when I was 17. And this, that, that's kind of an example, I guess. That's a great example of stories I've held, things like that. that, that that's a perfect example of the expectations being completely mismatched. <laughs> yeah, but I don't do that stuff anymore. Like, I've learned my lesson. Yeah. And, like, we just don't hang out anymore. I'm just like, look, if we hang out, it'd just be me and you. Don't invite the whole village. Don't, like, you know. But, you know, uh, you, know you get burnt once, right? And then you're like, okay, cool. Like, whatever. You learned your lesson. So what is your what is your background or history in terms of coming to Vietnam? Like when did you first start coming? How often do you come? Yeah, so I I had kept like I've been coming to Vietnam basically throughout my life. Ever so I used to be fluent in Vietnamese, I'm not anymore. So my parents used to come when I was a kid and then just like throw me to my uh uh, grandma's house right so then obviously as a kid you adapt so I was probably like three yeah three or four years old so I was pretty fluent um and then you know we we started coming less frequent and obviously going to school in England you know you, you're learning a new language right because at home you speak Vietnamese and Chinese and then you know you adapt to the new language at school so and then the dominant language in my household was Cantonese because my dad actually had to learn Cantonese from my mum. So then it was like Cantonese took over and then uh, English was the main language. So I stopped coming as often, but I would say I've probably been to Vietnam before actually living there like 10-ish times. I, I, um, I did... I did it like a couple of gap years and, uh, and, and both of those gap years, I actually did, you know, two months in Vietnam um, once with my friend and we were traveling and then once with my girlfriend at the time, uh, traveling as well. So that was cool. So I had been familiar with it, but only on a holiday basis until I actually came back in 2013. That was actually meant to be a holiday, uh, for six months, but it turned from six months to now, like I just, you know, last year I had my seven years abroad. So funny things. Yeah. Funny how things change, right? Like it's crazy. Well, yeah. I mean, my wife and I tell this story often and I've said it on the podcast probably a million times. We came to Vietnam for six weeks and we've now been here for nearly five years. That's not sad. That's yeah. Not- we came for a holiday. Oh, wow. We came for a vacation back in like 2015. We we did about two weeks. We did, you know, all the major tourist spots from Sapa all the way down to the Mekong Delta and loved it. Just absolutely fell in love with it. Like everyone does crazy energy, something about the place. No one can really put their finger on it, but there's just something mm-hmm. about it. And we were back to New Zealand where we lived. And then we're like, right, let's go traveling for a year. So we saved up for a year. We went away. We, we came to back to Ho Chi Minh to learn how to teach English. So we were just doing a four week course, a couple of weeks either side of it. And then we were going to continue on traveling and then go back to our life in New Zealand. And yeah, five years later now we are still here. So I I completely understand how your six month trip became seven years. So what was um, Saigon like then in 2013? Because I mean, we've seen massive changes in just the last few years. What was it like for you when you got here? Yeah, I think the community was definitely a lot smaller in terms of the community of expats, I mean. Um, and um, it was a lot smaller. There was like less sort of 
cool bars and restaurants and coffee shops, you know, like your local spots that, that people would like to go. So there's less of that. So you'll get to see a lot of familiar faces, uh, you know, especially with going out and drinking and partying. There's only be a few places to go. Uh, the skyline was very different. You know, now now there's all sorts of like new buildings getting built, lots of these apartments. So that was very different as well. Um, and there wasn't much of a tech scene. When I first went there, Vietnam had started to like build up like its, you know, homegrown startups and and American or outside investment. But now it's like crazy. Now it's like that you can really see the boom, right? In terms of like how many recruiters are there and like people reaching out and then like people starting things. And, and like, for example, this group that we're part of, Vietnam Content Creator Group, it, it like it just wouldn't have been a thing in 2013 like i don't know anybody that was making stuff but within this year as i've got into it i've seen so many and everybody's doing like so well and doing cool things it's just like exploded in terms of people who's moved here and um like starting businesses lots of like uh Viet Kills, which is like overseas vietnamese coming back to start restaurants bars companies I mean, it's just crazy now. And I just absolutely excited to get back and to like be in the thick of it and then to soak up some of that buzz because I think that's what I'm missing since I've been in Bangkok. And it's just uh, something I, I can't wait and I'm gagging for. <laughs> so how did you end up being trapped in Bangkok then? Well, um, I, I spoke about my, my work, right? So, and then I ended up quitting, but then the lockdown had already happened because I, I quit in in uh last year 2020 in june and then you know vietnam has basically closed down all flights right so the only way to get into the country was if you hold a vietnamese passport which i don't or you're a foreign expert which means you have a job or you're an investor right so you need some sort of sponsorship from a, a local vietnamese company so yeah and i was just kind of waiting for things to boil over because i thought vietnam would open the tourism scene like thailand has right but it just hasn't it's been very careful with who it lets in and and i think that's a good thing right but now i'm like oh i kind of want to come back so i was lucky enough to have a friend that runs this company and he was like yeah i'll sponsor you and i was like sweet man let's do it so let's, uh, let's finish up with the final questions. Before I do that, I do have to add, we were talking about um, expat groups and expat trolls. And I have to give a shout out. If you want to join a group that doesn't have trolls, join the Ho Chi Minh expat group Saigon. Uh, it's a good friend of mine run by Lawrence Young, who's been on the podcast before. And it's quite funny because when I first mentioned this group a long time ago on the podcast, I said it had like 5,000 members and he messaged me and I've made fun of him. We've talked about this. He messaged me when the podcast came out and he's like, it's actually 10,000 members. Can you make sure you get that correct? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he ended up being on the podcast. And I, I think when he came on, there was like 15,000. I've just looked it up right now. They got 19.3 thousand members. And he runs wow. that with an he runs that with an iron fist. So there's no negativity. Even if sometimes you read the comments, and if the comments are just starting to take like a turn or they're starting to get a bit like negative, he'll just jump in and be like, Hey guys, remember there's a non-troll group. If you keep going this way, and he, he's like zero tolerance. Like if you put one troll comment, 
you're like banned from the group immediately. So mm-hmm. it's a really safe space because he recognized that with a lot of those expat groups, they are covered in trolls. And that's been a goal of mine for a while. I actually want to interview a troll. So if anyone's listening and you identify yourself as an internet troll, then please get in touch and I will be happy to have you on. I'd love to interview someone and, and have a conversation about why are you the way that you are and why are you a troll? And you don't need to even give your name. You can do it anonymously. But if you are if you know that you're an internet troll and you want to come on the podcast, then send me a message and, and we can make it happen. So anyway, moving on, check it out. Ho Chi Minh Expat Group Saigon. That's a good one. So we'll finish with the final question. So as you mentioned before, the name of the podcast is 7 Million Bytes. And I just saw an article last week saying that they're trying to reduce the amount of bikes in Saigon because of the pollution. And it's funny because people always ask me, what are you going to do when there's 8 million bikes? Are you going to change the name? Well, now I might have to think about changing the name to 6 million bikes or 5 million bikes if they, if they continue to reduce the amount of uh, polluting bikes. But it's going to stick. It's going to stay at 7 million bikes no matter what, no matter how many bikes there are in Saigon. So there are 7 million in Saigon and there's 45 million across Vietnam as well, one of the highest levels of bike registration in the world. And as we know, what comes with that is just the craziness of the traffic. So for you, when you've been here, what's the unwritten road rule that you can't live without? I, uh, okay, running a red light when it's safe. That's, that's it. That, that actually might be my favorite as well. Like just if it's safe, <laughs> if, if it's safe to do, just you can go through it, right? So yeah, I'll agree with that one. Um, now, you said you were fluent in Vietnamese, but you've lost that a little bit. But when you do come back here, what's your most useful Vietnamese phrase? Oh, man, this one was hard because I was like, how much Vietnamese do I know? And it turns out I don't know any. So um, <laughs> th- yeah, so this answer is going to be terrible, but I'll explain why it's terrible and why I, 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 I use it. So uh my my most favorite or not even most useful but most favorite is emoi and i find myself doing this when i'm in other places like in bangkok when you kind of want to get someone's attention i'm like oh god okay different language um but it's just so useful right like it's not considered rude to you know like get someone's attention at a restaurant especially at a restaurant uh, where you need service and they're just like flat out ignoring you. They might have seen you, but they just kind of walk past. So it's a very, like, for me, it's quite useful. But the reason why uh, I mention this is because uh, a bunch of my friends had evolved this MOI term into like, uh, what are you doing with your MOI tonight? Or like, oh, did you see that <laughs> MOI over there? So like, that's how we use it. And it's kind of like permeated across, you know, uh, different places. Like, you know, like, cause I, I worked in a Mexican company and uh, now they all use it. And like, you know, like people from different places <laughs> use it. My, my friend in Taiwan is like, what's your, M- like, who's your MOI tonight? And I'm like, I don't know. So it's, it's amazing. Like we, we've used it and we've killed it. And that's why it's my favorite. <laughs> now for, for anyone that's listening that hasn't been to Vietnam or maybe doesn't know what we're talking about, can you explain what is MOI? Sure. Um, so M is someone younger than you right uh whether it's a guy or um a girl it's just someone that younger than you not 
super young, not like a child, but just someone that you deemed maybe younger than you, right? And oi is, uh, I don't know, I guess it's like adding uh, an emphasis uh, onto a certain sentence, like I'm very tired, right? And then you could add oi on the end of it. So emoi is like really to get someone's attention that's younger than you. So typically you'll say it, you know, at a restaurant or or like trying to get someone's attention, like maybe your mate that's like, looking at their laptop and you're like, Emily, and then they're like, Oh, yo, what's up? So like, you know, that is uh, typically used in, in lots of different ways, but the most common is, you know, at a coffee shop, if you want to get service or at a hotel or at a bar, etc. But the thing you haven't added is you don't say it, you shout it. <laughs> right. And this is, yes, even after being here for five years, and this happened last night, I was out with friends and one of my friends and my wife and I say this all the time. My wife is the funniest that this, my wife listens to all the podcasts. So she knows exactly what I'm going to say right now. When she calls Emma, she's like, am I, am I? I'm like, Adrian, you need to yell. Like you, she's so polite. And this is what my friend said last night. And I think a lot of expats, even though we know it's not rude, we find it really difficult to just yell out, am I? Like, it just feels rude, even though we know it's not. And we don't do it because it's like, oh, as uh, someone who's from Vietnam, do you have that shame or do you you'll just you, you yell it out? No problem. I used to have that shame. I got past it. And right. I was just like, I just want to be efficient. And, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun. Like, it's actually <laughs> fun yelling it. Like, I don't mind it now. So you understand what I'm talking about, though, right? Oh, completely. Yeah. Like, we should, like... Because, you know, if, if you're in the UK and you don't even want to cut, like you just hold your hand up and you don't even hold it that high. And like, no. it's just this like weird dance, right? That you're trying to do in a restaurant, trying to be polite. But I just love the directness. Like, oh, I love that. Yeah. I've kind of like hit a peak and then come back down. So yeah, I was in the beginning, nervous, shy. Then I was kind of like, as I've been here, and I'm like, yeah, I can see it. I'm, but now I've come back down the other side because I'm, I'm more embarrassed that I've never really, I've not learned any Vietnamese to back it up. So now I'm like, I'm, I don't want to like see it because I can't actually back it up with any Vietnamese. So yeah, <laughs> the life of an expat. Now, what's your favorite sunset spot in Vietnam? I struggle with this one. I don't think I'm too much of a sunset set spot person, but I mean, I really like this bar like when I first moved there. And it, it was Broma. So it's changed a lot since um, I first came to Vietnam, but that would probably be like one of my most favorite, just because it reminded me of a time of like first coming here, discovering rooftop bars in Vietnam in the middle of a really busy city on Wing Hue. And it's just like, wow, like this, like, you know, for me, that was like an uh, uh, awesome time in Vietnam. So, yeah. Mm. And on that street, Win Hue, I'm probably butchering it. When you first came then in 2013, that wouldn't have been finished, right? No, it wasn't finished. No, you could drive everywhere. And now, like, you can't drive anywhere on that street. Yeah. Oh, you could drive on that street when you lived, when you first came here? Yeah, it was like two massive avenues. So, like, what you get in, like, District 7 and stuff, like, just two, like, Big ass roads, right? Oh wow! No, just like go that. anywhere you want. Yeah, yeah. So they they completely revamped it. So it was there when I when uh, it was revamped and it turned into like a walking street, right? Um, but yeah, it was like you know typical Vietnamese traffic. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, because yeah, we when we came in 2015, they were nearly finished it, and then when we came back 2016, 
It was finished. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's just this massive flat boulevard that goes right through the middle of um, Saigon and they use it for events. Like right now they have the Flower Festival for Tet and um, just a place you can go hang out, things like that. And Broma Bar looks over that. So yeah, that would have been completely different than when uh, when you went to Broma Bar then back in 2013. Yeah, totally. To- like more quiet, more more like sleepy and, and, and just really nice. Yeah. And do you know that used to be a canal? It did. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, way back in the day, that was a canal that ran the length of that. And maybe a railway line as well, I think. I'm not sure. Anyway, talking about stuff I don't really know about, so let's move on. So would you rather live in Vietnam now or 20 years ago? Now, I think 20 years ago, it would have been uh, a lot more difficult to fit in, although you can get a head start on a lot of things. But I think now is just, you know, uh, has all the right sort of ingredients to, to, to what I want in like a city life. Um, but yeah, I think now. Yeah, that seems to be the most common answer from people. Um, and last one, what's missing from Vietnam? Oh, this one's hard. I, I had had some thoughts in my head and I was just going to list them off, but <laughs> I didn't want to be a twat, so I'm not going <laughs> to. Uh, I think I'm just going to say and, and be very cheesy and be like, it's missing me, man. Like, <laughs> what the hell am I doing here? God damn it. Fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll accept that answer. Now, before we finish up, I do have to touch on something that we talked about before we started recording. And I'm going to give a shout out to the previous guest, Ni Corcoran. And if you listen to that episode, you would have heard her discuss about how she mispronounces her own name when she's telling it to people. And I actually said it right on the podcast because it's N-H-I, so it's Ni and she introduced herself as me, so um, I was I was proud of that one. But then we were having a conversation about this before we started recording, and we were talking about your name. So do you want to share the story that you you were telling me before? Yeah. So um, uh, my surname uh, in Vietnamese, or how you're supposed to pronounce it, is Wing. But as a kid, I've always pronounced it as uh, Nguyen, right? Uh, just just because it was like easier. There's no N in pronouncing it in Vietnamese, but, you know, teachers would ask me and stuff. So I grew up thinking that was my surname, like for like 28 years or whatever. So it was like, holy crap. You know, it's not until I was actually in Vietnam and, you know, you see Wing everywhere, right? Wing Hue, for example, um, which is a street name. But like you see it everywhere and then you kind of learn how to pronounce your own name. But I don't know how it got into my head that my surname was Noween and maybe it was something from my dad, but it's just, it's just screwed up. It's just messed up, man. (laughs) How did your parents never correct you at 28 years? Be like, yo, Chris, you're you're not saying your your own name, right? I don't know, man, because I know my Chinese name and I pronounce that right because there's only one way to pronounce that, right? But I don't know. Maybe because of the Latin alphabet, uh, it just like confuses people. I don't know. I have no idea. And you said you spoke Cantonese. My aunt is actually from Hong Kong and she she speaks Cantonese as as well. And we were having a family group chat yesterday. We were talking about the, the Lunar New Year. And my sister could remember, I'm just looking it up in the message, how to say this, which is Gong He Fat Choi. Yeah, Gong He Fa Tai. Yeah, you said it better than me, which is Cantonese for Happy New Year. Exactly, exactly. There you go. Anita, my and what's aunt. What's the? Uh, sorry, uh, just what? What's the uh, Vietnamese uh, Happy New Year? 
Chuck Mong Namuri. There you go. Smashed it. That's the only thing I can say. It's so embarrassing. Like last night, we were walking down the street and passing some guys having beers, tigers by the side of the road, meeting these guys. And they're like, Chuck Mong Namuri. And I can say it back with confidence. But at the same time, I'm still like, it's been five years. And that's like the only thing I can say with confidence. It's so embarrassing. It's terrible. <laughs> but if, if you ever, if you have a Google, um, would you call it a Google assistant? Ask them to say it because it's pretty funny. They say, Chuck Mung Nam Moi. Oh, what? I mean, it's a it's an AI, right? So you can't really blame it for not getting the pronunciation, but um, it makes me laugh anyway. So if anyone has a Google assistant, get it to say Chuk Mung Nam Moi or Happy New Year in Vietnamese and it will butcher the pronunciation more than me. Right. So let's finish it up on that. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been awesome to chat with you. I'm looking forward to you making it back to Vietnam and we will definitely be meeting up for some beers and some cocktails and some some wanky expat adventures. Um, before you do go, tell people where can they find your content? Where can they listen, watch? What are you up to next? Tell people how they can connect with you. Sure. So at Semi Grown Kid, pretty much anywhere, Instagram, YouTube, Rented Bananas podcast on all the podcast platforms. Um, and yeah, I, I think I'm, you know, that's how you can connect with me and, you know, send me a message. Let's collaborate, let's work together. And uh, I'll see everybody in Saigon soon. Awesome. Cheers, Chris. I'll see you soon. I want to give a special shout out to the first ever three Patreons of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. A massive thank you to Brandon Thompson, Zion Johnson and Alistair Chapman for becoming the first ever people to do that. And please, if you can support the podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash a Vietnam podcast. You can find the link in the show notes and you can become a member. There's different levels there. You get different benefits or you can just give a little bit if you want to help support the production of the podcast. There is also a link for buy me a coffee, but you can change that to buy me a beer. So if you want to give a one-off donation to support 7 Million Bikes, then that would be amazing as well. It obviously costs money to produce a podcast and takes a lot of time as well. They'll always be available for free. But if you think that you enjoy this content and it's something that is worth supporting and giving a little bit of money for, that would be very, very much appreciated because, as I said, it does take time and money to produce. So it would be unbelievable to have your support. So thank you so, so much to Brandon, Alistair and Zion for that support. That's unbelievable. And I also want to give a shout out to a local charity each week. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to give them a donation. That would be unbelievable. This week... We want to give a shout out to the Green Bamboo Centre, which provides social services and support for poor and disadvantaged children in Ho Chi Minh City. And they also run the Green Bamboo Kitchen that I have ordered food from before, and it is unbelievable and super cheap as well. So make sure you look that up on Facebook, the Green Bamboo Kitchen. That's run by the boys from the shelter, and that helps financially support the centre as well. So make sure you check that out, the Green Bamboo Kitchen or the Green Bamboo Centre. They're based here in Saigon as well. Thanks for listening again this week. I hope you all enjoyed that episode. If you can support on Patreon or you want to buy me a beer or support Green Bamboo, that would be unbelievable. And I hope you can like and subscribe to tune in to episodes coming in the future.
hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash smb just again for those hard of hearing nordvpn.com forward slash smb the link is also in the show notes i know nobody checks them out but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast as an affiliate partner it also means that i will get a small commission when you sign up but at no extra cost to you so not only will you be getting a great deal through seven million bikes you get a great vpn and you'll be supporting seven million bikes podcast Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.